Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing. This is the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson, and this is our 11th episode, and our guest this week is Caroline Anderson, a writer's assistant for Comedy Bang Bang in the upcoming Comedy Central show, Hampton DeVille. A lot of people say that the easiest way to become a staffed writer is to first become a writer's assistant, so I thought I'd get Caroline to come on the show since she's done that job for one of the funniest shows around. So here is Caroline Anderson. Uh, thanks for coming, Caroline. Thank you. Uh, where are you from originally? Houston, Texas. Oh, I'm from Dallas. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. The humid sister city. Yeah, a lot of mosquitoes. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, did you live there your whole childhood? I did, yeah, until college. But mm-hmm. yeah, I lived in the same house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, were you? Uh, did you first get into comedy when you were uh, a kid? Totally. Um, my mom is a big comedy nerd and she liked cool stuff. She liked news radio and SCTV and we watch a lot of The Simpsons uh, and generally just oh, uh, uh, Christopher Guest movies were huge in my right. house. Uh, I was a very serious opera singer as a kid. That was my career. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. But I always loved comedy. Wow. I just never thought I was going to work in it in any capacity. Right. So, uh, does, does your opera scene ever come into like anything, any comedy It totally stuff? does. I mean, yeah. like one of the best days of my adult life was I worked on Comedy Bang Bang as the writer's assistant and we, uh, had a musical episode and I got to go to Evan Schletter, our music mm-hmm. director's studio and do all of the vocals for it, which was like the most oh, fun wow. I've ever had. Yeah. It was that's, so fun. That's one of my favorite episodes of Comedy Bang Bang. I love that episode. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'm shooting a thing for Hampton DeVille, the show I just worked on. We're doing like a little, someone's watching a stupid YouTube video of a woman singing and that's going to be me. So it is like <laughs> very fun to trot it out every once in a while. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, did you do any comedic operas in, uh, in high school? You know, when I was in high uh, at college and I was planning my senior recital, I was like, oh, I'm going to do all, because I'd started doing stand-up at that point and knew that I wanted to work in comedy in some capacity. And I had this plan of doing all comedic arias and art songs for my recital um and then i dropped out so i never had an opportunity to do that but that was my great plan that would have been terrible it would have been the worst no one wants to hear an hour of funny opera so you're gonna write the operas right no 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 there's like okay. there's existing comedic really? yeah pdq bach is a very famous uh okay. comedy opera composer they're, they yeah. exist. Yeah. Are, 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 so are they actually kind of funny or? Totally. I think yeah. PDQ oh, okay. Bach is really funny. Yeah. What, what, what are they like? What is it about? Um, It depends. So one of the pieces okay. I wanted to do is by PDQ Bach and it's called Four Folk Song Upsettings. And they're just like, it's the shtick that everyone now does on YouTube, which is like very grandiose operatic arrangements of oh, folk songs. Um, right. With silly lyrics. Uh, yeah. So he's kind of like the Weird Al of exactly. opera. Exactly. He's oh. absolutely the Weird Al. That's of, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you said you were doing stand-up. What, what, like, what kind of stand-up? Like, what was your stand-up like? Oh, it was bad. It was yeah. really, really <laughs> bad. Um, I went to college at Louisiana State in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. and the stand-up scene, forgive me if anyone's listening to this and is doing stand-up in Baton Rouge, but is pretty <laughs> terrible. Uh, and it consists of, like, college students who think they're funny, which is, like, mostly, like, very aggressive men. Right. Or... Uh, <laughs> kind of 50-year-old dudes who do the same five minutes every week uh, and had a lot to tell me about, you know, what I should really be doing, uh, even (laughs) though they were not (laughs) getting paid to do stand-up and were 30 years older than me. So I 
I flourished in that scene because I was like so different and people kind of didn't understand what was happening. And it was the beginning of like alt becoming mainstream or whatever, where people were like listening to Maria Bamford on campus and listening to like weirdos. Uh, so I had a little bit of, not to say that I was anywhere near as good as any of those people, but, um, yeah, I like talked about my depression and all that cool stuff that standups when they're 18 think that they should talk about. And I talked a lot about opera and, um, more like storytelling than straight setup punchline, but um, it was fun. It was way more fun than college, so hence why I dropped yeah. out to pursue it. So, so you dropped out of college to pursue stand up? To pursue comedy, to yeah. Pursue comedy. Um, okay. I was interning remotely for Earwolf from the time it was a okay, thing right? When I was in college, and so mm-hmm. after a couple of months of doing both at the same time, I was like, oh, I I want to work for Earwolf. I want right. to do comedy stuff. Uh, and maybe if I had a different degree and I could have justified like, well, it's an English degree. It'll serve me anywhere. But an opera degree is bullshit. So mm-hmm. it just was a waste of my time at that point. So uh, you, so how'd you get linked up with Earwolf? So when I was in college and depressed and miserable and not enjoying singing, my hobby was, this was like the beginning of podcasts when there weren't that many uh Comedy Bang Bang was then called Comedy Death Ray Radio. There was no website forum. There just wasn't really a world outside of the special thing forums, Mm -hmm. if you're familiar. And my hobby became making these like detailed spreadsheets of every episode of Comedy Death Ray Radio saying who the guests were and what the time codes were and what games they played. And it was just a thing for me to do that wasn't like crying. So I did it all the time. And then one time on the podcast, Scott Ackerman said, we're looking for people to help us build a website. So I sent all of those along and I said, you know, I hope that these help have at it. And they were him and Jeff Ulrich, the co-founder, were both incredibly appreciative, wanted to know who I was, what my deal was, how I had all of this on hand. And then I helped set up the website over the summer. And they said, do you want to stay on as our copywriter? Just free interning, Mm. um, loosely interning. Mm. Uh, And I totally did. And I went back to college and I hated it. So then I moved back home, continued doing copywriting, but took on a bigger role at the time, I think there was maybe one full-time employee and three or four interns wow. that worked for Earwolf. So it was very easy for me to make myself invaluable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that was my my plan with Earwolf. That's crazy. Yeah. Because now it's just, it's just now huge. Now it's massive. Yeah. Now there's employees there who don't know who I am, which I take very personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when so you when you were making these uh, breakdowns, I guess of, mm-hmm. of the episodes, you didn't think that was going to lead to anything. Honestly, no, you're just not at all. <laughs> you're just posting it on the on the web. I thought online, maybe, right? um, yeah, I was just posting them on like a, a uh-huh. wiki. Uh, I thought maybe Scott would tweet me. That was yeah. like the highest I could think that would ever happen. And he did. He mentioned me on an episode of the podcast, and I was like, well, there we go. Go back to singing opera. I've, I've peaked. Uh, and the fact that they wanted to keep me around was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you started doing this, Earwolf, was Earwolf a thing yet? or It was. I spent maybe three or four months before it had a okay. name and had a website, building it up, making the WordPress, making wow. the site. Um, at the time, because of my uh, depression, I my grades had dropped and I'd lost my scholarship. So for that summer, I was working a morning shop, uh, shift at a computer factory and then an afternoon shift at a dog kennel. And then it would go Whoa. home and write code, which I don't know code. I don't know WordPress. I didn't know any of that. Wow. I didn't know how to edit photos, which they wanted. I didn't know how to copyright. I Terrible grammar. I, it's so uh, 
looking back at my early emails with Scott and where he's just correcting my comma placement and stuff is so embarrassing to see now. Um, but it's just like all I did and it, I didn't care. I didn't mind. I was like literally sitting in the bathtub listening to episodes to make notations on, uh, and yeah, it was just like the best. And then when it launched, it was like, I felt such pride and whenever anyone would link to it and I would wear all the shirts around campus thinking I was so cool. That's so wild. Yeah. So you were, so you were working like a full-time, two part-time things as like a full-time thing and doing this on the side. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So when you go to, so you, you dropped out of college and then you decided to move to LA? I spent about six months in between okay. living at home, gearing up mm-hmm. and saving money and then, yeah, moved out here in November of 2011. And so what were you doing then for your role? Uh, any, literally anything they would ask yeah. me. They did a website redesign in that time that I oversaw. I managed uh, contract workers working on the website. I did they were adding more and more shows. So copywriting became more and more difficult because I was writing the notes for every single episode. So I had to listen to every single episode and, uh, 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 guest descriptions and bios and show description bios and store description bios and press releases, just anything they would let me do. And they were always down to let me share right. some of the load. So yeah, just anything <laughs> they would let me do. Uh, that's, that's so crazy. It kind of blows my mind right now. Cause yeah. it's Earwolf now, like, you know, owned by scripts. Yeah. Like a million Katie dollar. Katie Couric has a Earwolf podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember telling people in my family, like, oh, Will Ferrell's going to be on a podcast. Like, that's a name you know. Yeah. That You're mad at me still about dropping out? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, so they were paying you at this point, right? No. Okay. They did not. No, it was all, all interning. That loose yeah. term that we were allowed to use before all of the lawsuits. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally free. So what were you doing at this time for like money? Back to the computer factory. Yeah. <laughs> and I would, uh, which I eventually got. So wait, what, what is a computer factory? Uh, Hewlett Packard's headquarters okay. in Houston. So I would work at the Hewlett Packard factory. Uh, I don't care if anyone listens and I'm defaming them because it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would. Well, as you know, I, I want Hewlett Packard to come on my show. Sure, sure. So. You want to get that sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so I would, my job was cleaning off microchips, like, or little I don't know what they're called. Uh, I was not qualified for the job and sending them back into the floor. And as mm-hmm. soon as I was done with it, I'd just start listening to podcasts because right. I wanted to get a start on my work. And a couple of times my boss came in and we're like, you can't do that on the job. I was like, tell me what I should be doing differently because I've cleaned all the microchips. I don't, there's nothing else for me to do. <laughs> and then after a couple of times he fired me, I was like, yeah, sure. That checks out. And then I just moved to Los Angeles after he fired me. Wow. Yeah. So you're in LA. You're working for Earwolf. So I moved... The timing worked out mm-hmm. that the Comedy Bang Bang TV show was picked up right when I was fired from Hewlett Packard. So an email went out to all Earwolf interns saying, just so you know, the show was picked up, but please don't say anything about it. Uh, I just want to be clear that, you know, it's a secret. And I responded with something that I thought was very funny and clever at the time of like, oh, you should give me a job on the show. And then he called me that night and said, yeah, if you're if you're truly moving to Los Angeles, like you say you are, you can have a job on the show. And I lied and said I already had my rent and my ticket, and I didn't at all. I was, like, waiting for that call. Uh, and my parents were out of t- town at that time, and I found an apartment on Craigslist and sent a rent check, and I booked a plane ticket and then was gone two, three days later. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It's also very Jeff Ulrich, who's the co-founder of Earwolf. He's very, like, you lie and tell him that you live there so right. you can have the interview. Like, he very much preaches all of that so i kind of knew that 
if I got there and something bad happened, I could tell Jeff, like, but I tried all the things you yeah. said. Uh, and he's been such a great friend to me. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a really good dude. So you come to L.A. and then uh, is this, so you're just immediately offered the, the writer's yeah. assistant? Yeah. It, wow. uh, there's maybe two weeks between me moving here. I moved here at the tail end of October. Uh, and then it started mid-November. And in that time, I would just go hang out at the Airwolf offices. So I had something to do all day. But yeah, I just started working there. <laughs> That's crazy. So you went from like working at a computer factory to like a month later, yeah, com- like a TV writer assistant. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a lot of times when you have interns on a TV show, they're tasked with interviewing me because they want the writer's assistant or the script coordinator position, and that's a college assignment. Oh right. Uh, and I hate telling them my story because I didn't <laughs> go to film school. I didn't do any of that. So, I mean, I had an internship, but it wasn't like a formal. It was literally just me emailing them. Um, so yeah, I I feel guilty with how lucky I've been. <laughs> so you start working there, and you've you. So what 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 do you think a writer assistant is before you go? And like, literally nothing. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, I got final draft maybe two or three days yeah. before the I torrented it. Now I have a legal version, but for a long mm-hmm. time I had a torrented version, uh, and I just spent Thanksgiving because it started the week after Thanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving Day in my terrible Craigslist apartment that was like scary and awful and six people in a one bedroom, uh, (laughs) just like playing around and trying to figure out how Final Draft worked. Because that's all I knew would be part of it is that I knew needed to know how Final Draft worked. But I didn't know I needed to get crafty. I didn't know Mm -hmm. any. I really did not know a single thing. So like uh, was the first like day and week like terrifying? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Because also at the time... Bang Bang moved around a lot, but for the first season, we shot where Tim and Eric shot and where Steve Brule shot. And those are like, like, I love Tim and Eric. I Mm -hmm. watched Tim and Eric in high school. My mom loves Tim and Eric. And so it was like day one, I'm like walking past Tim Heidecker's office and he's there. And it was just like, fortunately, my time at Earwolf made me a little like, oh, yeah, I will see my heroes and it will be fine. I'd like seen David Wayne and Paul F. Tompkins and stuff, but uh yeah, it was totally intimidating. And when people would go like, oh, what do you want from Tinder Greens? I didn't know what Tinder Greens was. I didn't know <laughs> any. I had no idea what was going on. I like uh, how that's a problem. You Like, I didn't know what Tinder Greens was. <laughs> well, when someone just asks, oh, what do you want from Tinder Greens? I don't, I don't know what that is. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I had no idea. Um, so, so how was that first day? Like, how was that first, like, couple weeks starting out? It was scary. I remember looking at the email that Scott sent out the day before the writer's room started, and I didn't know who any of the writers were going to be, and looking at the the names in the email, and knowing kind of knew who Neil Campbell was, and knowing a little bit who the birthday boys were, but Leo Allen wrote on that first season, mm-hmm. and I love Leo Allen, and I'm obsessed with Leo Allen, and like called my mom crying saying Leo Allen was going to work on the show, so I was very like, what does Leo Allen think of me? Like That was very intimidating for me early on, and just like what do I do all day? Like, cause the, when the very first day and I started and I just kind of started transcribing what they were saying and they're like, Oh, I didn't have to write this down. But then I was like, okay, well, what do I have to write down? It was super, super scary, but it was a, a lot of fun. That first mm-hmm. season when it was a really tiny writer's room and we only did nine episodes and it was in a tiny space we shot it. Like there was a little bit of safety in that smallness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what did your duties entail? Comedy Bang Bang is was a very low budget show and for the first season and a half it was non-union so maybe people know this but the traditionally there's 
a writer's PA, a showrunner's assistant, an executive assistant, a writer's assistant, a script coordinator. And those five people kind of share a similar workload. On Bang Bang, I was the only person doing all of that stuff. So it was getting crafty. It was getting lunches. It was taking payroll. It was transcribing everything that was ever said, formatting outlines, formatting scripts, distributing scripts, anything and everything (laughs) I had to do with that job. That's that's like, so crazy. I didn't know because I, I had no idea. Right. And it wasn't until I like talked to people on like network shows and dramas and stuff where they have 10 people sharing that workload where they were like, no, that's a lot of work. You should mm-hmm. not feel bad that you're not perfect at it because that was like, I sucked at it for the first three seasons. I was a really, really bad writer's assistant because I didn't know. Well, because they were giving you the job right. of five people. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so did... So what was like the writer's room like once you got there? Like, What were the people like? It's so fun. So the kind of core group of writers stayed pretty same for all 110 episodes. And there were a couple of, uh, you know, um, Paul Rust would pop in for a little bit or Eva Anderson or Joe Wangert. Uh, but it was like a very, very silly room. Really, really goofy. A lot of bits. I mean, it's exactly what you would assume if mm-hmm. you've listened to the Comedy Bang Bang. Right. Show, especially on an episode with Neil Campbell, who was our head writer and our EP. Um, Really, really goofy, high energy, Mm -hmm. silly, funny. There was no such thing as a bad pitch. No competition over jokes. It was a very physical writer's room, especially with uh, Paul Rust and Neil and and Mike Hanford are all very like physical, get up and dance. And one day Paul Rust, um, there was like a silent moment and he rolled his rolling chair over to the trash can and got the food out of the trash can and started throwing it in his mouth. That was like very normal <laughs> at Comedy Bang. It's very, very, we got there at 10 a.m. and then just laughed and it was silly until 6 p.m. when we left, which was awesome. It, what a treat to get to work in that room. Like, And how would you transcribe some of that stuff? Would- oh my gosh, it's so hard because yeah. it's like, very the very visual language on comedy bang bang obviously um and there was a lot of fu- kind of funny voices i would literally put in the notes like neil's high funny voice or like <laughs> the thing that joe did at an improv show that he remembers being funny because it's a lot of babbling and right. literally neil campbell talks in a a language called Ronto, basically, that's like a, uh, a faux alien language that he talks in constantly that only oh. he knows. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that's just how he comes into the room going, Ronto, Ronto. It's truly impossible to try to get exactly right. But generally, if everyone's laughing really hard at something, then they're all going to remember it the next day and my notes aren't as necessary. It's more when it's like, Oh, what was that thing that we talked about for 30 seconds and then moved immediately away from? Can we talk about that again? Will that turn into something funny if we talk about it again? That's right. the stuff that was more important to get down. Uh, how involved was Scott in the writer's room? Because he was also like producing and yeah, acting. He's and... the most busy person in the world. Yeah. It changed every season. You know, every season was a completely different beast because of what Scott was doing in his life. And the did we know who our band leader was going to be? Did we have the same band leader? We did a... 40 episode season, which is unbelievable. So towards the end, he was in the room every single, or towards the beginning, he was in the room every single day watching things as they got pitched, saying yes or no to things as they got pitched. Towards the end, he was there once a week maybe. And that was like, it was a much more difficult task to just pitch and write a million things and then wait for him to come in and veto. He rarely vetoes things, but you know, 
to give his notes on things. It got mm-hmm. really challenging towards the end, but you know, he always had a good attitude about it. <laughs> so, uh, the first season of the show, mm-hmm. uh, was way different, I think, than the rest of the show. Totally it is. So maybe, can you talk about how that, that shift? Yeah. Um, season one was like, well, it was four acts instead of three acts, um, just from a totally structural right. format. And the idea was to have three guests instead of two guests. Uh, and I think just from being there, but also hearing Scott and Neil talk about it, of that there was an idea that this might be the only season we ever get to do. Right. So let's throw anything we've ever wanted to do. Let's get everything. And there was a desire for it to be more like the podcast. So let's have games in there the way there are on the podcast. Let's have more character guests. Um, and then we just kind of season two was like, let's stretch out. Let's allow things time. Let's not stress ourselves out trying to get 15 things into an episode when five things will be just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, first season was really like, how do we get every birthday boy sketch we've ever written and liked into the show? Cause the birthday boys at the time, it was most of their first job. They had no idea if their sketches would ever get a home, which it did. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to f- cram everything into mm-hmm. every episode. Mm-hmm. Did IFC, were they like, uh, did they, were they involved at all? Or like, they were just like kind of hands off and like, they're you guys... a pretty hands off network. Yeah. Having just worked on the comedy central show, it's, it's, mm-hmm. IFC was much more hands off. IFC also changed ownership and changed, oh. uh, people so many times throughout our show. So oh, wow. there were certain, uh, Dan Pasternak, who's now developing all sorts of cool comedy stuff was in charge when we started and was a huge comedy bang bang fan and advocate and he was there at the beginning and he was much more involved just because he loved the show so much and then it you know they would come visit every once in a while but they didn't really note the show very much which was nice um yeah they were pretty pretty hands-off pretty trusted mm-hmm. us we couldn't write snakes into the first couple seasons because the head of development or whatever was afraid of snakes that was kind of the biggest wow. um challenge from ifc <laughs> were there any great like snake pitches that you guys uh no no, <laughs> no. no. That's all right. um so when like uh bang bang would do the special episodes where like they were like genre parodies right. yeah did that come from like scott saying he wanted to do something like this or just from anybody totally the generally the way we like to do it is half of any given season is contained in the studio easy to produce some wacky guy comes and visits the episode and that happens. And then the other half are musical episodes or sliding doors parody or huge genre stuff. Um, Yeah. And it, and it came from everyone's frame of reference. There are episodes that are like very Joe Saundersy or very um, like, this is clearly an Eva Anderson pitch. If you know, Eva sensibility. And like I said, Scott's very, um, he's not one of those guys who just vetoes any idea he doesn't like. He, will work on it until he likes it. So there was really no, uh, there's a lot of freedom to pitch whatever people liked. And I think that shows up on the shows. There's bits that are like so Neil Campbell-y that when I watch mm-hmm. them, I like, I can't believe that it's on TV because it's just so <laughs> pure, unadulterated Neil Campbell. Um, yeah. And there were certain things that forever, you know, Scott loves musicals. Scott loves uh, like um, 60s beach parties, which we did, uh, the the Beatle episode. Uh, yeah, he loves comic books, so any kind of comic mm-hmm. booky kind of thing was into it. Um, yeah, he, he, he would pitch genres and so would other people. It was mm-hmm. a pretty uh, egalitarian room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
when Reggie Watts left, uh, were there like uh, pitches for possible band leaders or like not even having a band leader anymore? Or? Uh, there were a lot of pitches and there yeah. were auditions and uh, what it ended up working out perfectly that mm-hmm. Kid Cudi was literally just on the show and was like, I love this show. He was like... Right big Bobby Moynihan fan. And so he just was like, oh, you're looking for a band leader? I'll do it. And then whenever he couldn't do it anymore, Weird Al just instantly was like, yes, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of time and the thought into what was going to happen and who should it be and auditions. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it just was the person who was the easiest to, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's here right mm-hmm. now and he wants to do it. Yeah. Uh, how did like going from Reggie Watts to Kid Cudi and Weird Al like change the way the writers worked. I mean, obviously there they were like pitches that they couldn't do. Yeah, could do. totally. Um, well, they're also different. Reggie is like, loves to do, like he came into the room once to talk about what he liked and it was like jargon. Like he likes talking <laughs> and pretending he knows what he's talking about, right. which is like what he does all the time on Corden and which is so funny. And he likes, um, he likes really genre things. So we wrote to that. Uh, Cuddy just kind of had things that he didn't, Cuddy was great, um, but he, there were things that he just didn't like to joke about, um, which is totally understandable. Uh, so we just wrote kind of away from that and he, he was great. Um, he just didn't have as silly of a sensibility as the other guys. Um, and then Al would do literally anything. (laughs) He's such a good attitude. It's such a, um you know, meet your heroes thing where like, he's just cool. He's nice. He ate lunch Mm -hmm. with everybody. He like was down to do any kind of bit. So that was like, I think every single person in that writer's room has been a lifelong weird Al fan. So that Mm -hmm. was like a dream to like write stuff for him to do. And he was always into it. He wouldn't eat meat in the sketch, but that's it. Cause he doesn't Mm -hmm. eat meat. Um, but yeah, incredibly down to do any weird goofy thing. Yeah. He was like the perfect, uh, yeah like person for that show yeah it was really really fun it's crazy. and crazy cool. yeah uh so when everyone knew the show was ending uh how many different types of like finales were pitched and well so we'd done a finale episode in like season right. three uh-huh. so that took a lot of the tropes off the table right um but i think scott and neil in their kind of one-on-one meetings about the direction of the show talked a lot about wanting to do something that uh is more akin to just a regular episode of the show and isn't super genre and is just like a satisfying ending of the show and the other thing is that was a 20 episode season we wrote the first 10 not knowing who the band leader was going to be and then we got him and then we wrote the next 10 not knowing the fate of the show not Mm -hmm. knowing if it was going to move to another network or you know whatever it was so i think by the time the writing period ended we'd only written seven of the final 10 episodes and it was just scott and neil who you know wrote those final episodes just by themselves which is beautiful i'm, I'm so glad that mm-hmm. they did it that way because it's i think those episodes are really great mm-hmm. yeah uh did you ever pitch jokes yeah um mm-hmm. i'm i pitched story and i pitched some jokes but what what was cool about bang bang is structurally it allowed for everyone to just write the thing that they liked and everything was super, super co-written. And one person would write the structure of an episode while another person wrote the act two sketch. And another person wrote the be guest character, you know, beat sheet. So what I, most of my contributions to the show were as pod busters, which are the little 20 second mid-commercial break oh, interludes. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wrote 
a handful of those and those I started pitching. And then at a certain point it was just like, write 20 of them and we'll send them all to Scott and we'll see what he likes, mm-hmm. which was very cool. Cause I, you know, he, for all he knows, thinks that it's coming from one of the real writers. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote those and then the guest bits, the way every guest interview worked is that they would improvise about an hour long interview and then they would do three or four scripted bits. And that was a similar thing of, we would just write a bunch of them. We, the, we would book a guest maybe half a day before they aired sometimes, um, or before they came to shoot. It was always a really fast process, which, uh, allowed me to not like spend a lot of time hand wringing and going like, Oh, should I pitch this? Is it Mm -hmm. inappropriate? Is this, you know, like you just have to write it. Um, so I wrote a lot of things for that. Some of which got chosen and some of which got shot and some of Mm -hmm. which stayed in, uh, the final cuts of episodes and, it's awesome because they're yeah. just like blackout sketches. They're literally less than a page, right, yeah. really low production value. And it just has to be like, you know, to use the UCB language, like you just play a game, you just heighten and then mm-hmm. you have a button and then it's it. Um, so it was like sketch writing boot camp a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really fun to do. Like it was really thrilling anytime anything of mine got picked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like very... Uh, the writers are all incredibly nice to me and incredibly like willing to help me with stuff. And generally we would break off into groups or three or four to work on each episode. And I would just go with one of those groups and I could pitch all I wanted and I could, you know, pitch both jokes and story. Um, and then a couple of the larger episodes are my pitches. The, uh, one where Scott has a tutor, um, was my pitch. I forget which other ones because there's literally 110 episodes. Yeah. But um, yeah, just like that's another benefit of having these long 40 episode season, 20 episode season of like, I couldn't be too precious about like, oh, I don't know. Is it inappropriate for me to say something like, right. like they, they want ideas. They're paying for me to be in that room, not only because I can type fast, mm-hmm. but because something about my brain is valuable to them. Uh so yeah, I, I did a, a fair amount of pitching. Mm-hmm. I, in retrospect, I always wish that I'd done more. Um, but I was also doing the work of five people, right. so <laughs> it's hard to do that and pitch jokes. Uh, so when when for the guests, uh, for the guests, would you, uh, write generally or mostly like writing specifically for whoever the guest was that week? We would have kind of this massive file of generic get guests uh-huh. for when we only had someone booked in days in advance or when. Mm-hmm. Certain rappers would cancel morning of, and we would have to certain pull in rappers. someone. Certain white rappers. Um, uh, oh, I think Scott said this before. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I won't say anything, but. Yeah, twice he canceled. Uh. Um, but, uh, uh, but then we would also do specifics. So like one that I wrote that is not any piece of comedic genius, but I'm really proud of it, <laughs> is, um, was for James Marsden, who is in the movie Hop which is a movie with an animated bunny. I've never seen the movie. We would just scour Wikipedia for everything. (laughs) Um, And it was like, hey, we know you can act against a cartoon bunny. Can you try acting against a real bunny? And he held a bunny and (laughs) pretended to be breaking up with it, Um, which is, you know, the game is what would it look like if James Barston was holding a bunny? Um, And yeah, just a quick little blackout, usually based on Wikipedia, uh, Almost any time the guests would receive them, they would be confused as to why we had a bit about Dayton, Ohio or whatever, <laughs> like weird specific thing. Because we would do kind of general like actress ones mm-hmm. or character actor ones or ones that 
were about who they were as performers, but so much of that has already been mined by your cordons and your, you know, late night games now, which is a whole genre that wasn't when we started writing the show. Uh, so it did get very like, your dad's last name is blah, blah, blah. Right. Here's a funny bit about that last name or whatever <laughs> weird specific we could find that hadn't been mined yet. Well, that's a great way to do it, though, because you get yeah. like very specific weird stuff. Totally you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any favorite pitches that like you or the writers made that didn't make it uh, in? Oh, my gosh. I mean. I mean, there's so many, probably. There's so many. Um, there's a lot of cards we kept on the on the board for a long time like mood pants that I don't even remember what mood pants was, but we all laughed at mood pants. Um, <laughs> man, there's so many things that, uh, we just loved so much. Blogosphere was a Neil Campbell one that was like, um, Scott goes, let's check in on the blogosphere. And it's just like a weird slime creature who lives in a, <laughs> in a cage. But then art department said, we can't build a slime creature that spins around the cage. And we're like, yeah, that's fair. We tried to get in that for a while. Um, that's just a weird joke. I know. I, well, it's comedy. Bang, yeah. Bang. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, uh, there's so, we wrote so much material. You could make another mm -hmm. 10 episodes of comedy bang, bang with what is lying in my Google drive folder. Um, yeah. There's also like pitches where it was too close to something we'd already done. Uh, Mike Hanford had a whole song and dance number that he pitched one day. And Scott was basically like, we've done too much song and dance at this yeah. point. Like we can't just continue having another goofy song and dance. Right. Um, and then of course, um, of course, Spank Free Day for Bad Little Boys is like one of my favorite oh, yeah. bits. It's a Neil Campbell bit. And that was a thing that, as I mentioned, Neil likes to sing and dance and be really goofy mm -hmm. and speak in foreign languages. And that was just a, funny little song he would sing in the room just not the whole thing just the words spank free day for bad little boys and it was the day before we started shooting and scott said like neil you never wrote spank free day for bad little boys and neil went home and wrote a beautiful beautiful piece called spank free day for bad little boys and then we did it um but that almost was lost to the sands of time wow yeah. <laughs> uh do you have any favorite stories oh gosh um i mean Literally any time a celebrity was cool, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like nice. To, I, I remember Bobby Moynihan the first time he came was just like very nice and gracious, uh, which was awesome. Oh, here's uh, so my celebrity crush is J.R. Ferguson, who's Stan Rizzo from Mad Men. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have many celebrity crushes, and they're all weird. Um, <laughs> but I just constantly pitched him for everything because as a room, we also decided a lot of the casting. Uh, and I pitched him so many times to be on the show. And everyone was like, we, we got it. You like him. It's fine. Uh, and then for the final season, one of the very last episodes, Neil asked the room, like, who should play Paul Bunyan in this episode? And I was like, Neil, you're breaking my heart. Of course, it it yeah. has to be Jerry Ferguson. And he goes, eh. He's like, uh, you know, working a lot. He's busy. He's got a sitcom. He's not able to do other shows. And right at that time, he, like, tweets that he's on Mindy Project. And I just hold up my computer. And I was like, please, let's ask him. So we ask him and he says yes immediately. Turns out he's like best friends with our talent guy. He just literally texts him and asks. They're like on a trivia team together. 
And so I spent the whole day shaking. Like I, <laughs> I dropped my fork at lunch. I like couldn't be around him. And then as I was leaving for the day, I asked every single producer. I was like, is it inappropriate if I go talk to him, if I try to get a picture with him? And they're all like, no, go. You're fine. I never, ever tried to talk to talent. I like only talked to talent when it was absolutely necessary. Um, or it's like Paul F. Tompkins or someone who I have some rapport with from years of working around him. And I did, and I went, and I met Jared Ferguson, and he gave me a hug, and we got a picture together, and he was very nice, and I shook the whole time, and it was, like, <laughs> the highlight of my life. It was so – it was the best, worst day of my life because I felt sick all day because the boy I liked was there. <laughs> he actually uh, does make a good Paul Bunyan, though. He's yeah. great. He's so good, and he was laughing all day, which felt really good mm-hmm. that he was, like, really enjoying, like mm-hmm. – because I love that episode. I think that that's, like, one of my favorite episodes. Um I think it's a pretty pure comedy bang bang. It's one mm-hmm. of like two or three that I would say is like, we never let the uh, idea of, is this too esoteric enter the yeah. conversation? It's just like, no, this is a very esoteric episode. Uh, and he was amazing. He was so funny. He's great. Yeah. Uh, so do you think the show is ever going to come back in some form? Probably. I mean, not probably in terms of I've heard a conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just because. Scott loves it so much and Mm -hmm. there's so much love for it. And, um, Scott loves to work and he loves to make shit that people love. Um, and it would not be surprising to me at all if it came back on Mm -hmm. in some way or another, it would not surprise me at all. Yeah. He's got such a work ethic. He's like constantly doing stuff. Yeah. Which was like, he didn't have a personal assistant the whole time he worked on bang, bang. Uh, so it was like also like, he was having interviews while he was in there. Like his, his life is very big. He has a very, yeah. very big life and it's pretty like astounding to watch because not, he had a really big life when the show started, but just how much bigger it got in the span of four years was pretty incredible yeah. to see. <laughs> uh, so then all of Connie bang bang got to work on the Emmys. Yeah. That was the best. <laughs> yeah. That was really, really great. Um, so like Andy Samberg hired Scott to be like the head writer. Is I'm I'm, I'm be wrong. And then he hired then the whole Bang Bang cast. Basically, yeah. yeah. I think I the conversation I knew is we were finishing season three, moving into season four, or maybe it was four into five. Um, and he took each writer aside, and I had this fear every single season that I was going to get fired. And so he pulls me aside, and I was like, "Well, this is the conversation where I get fired." <laughs> And he goes, okay, well, we're doing another season of the show and you can come back, uh, but we're taking a break in the middle of the season and we don't, we're all going to go work on the Emmys and all the writers have contracts, but I don't have a contract for you, but I would like to get you one. I would like for you to work on it. And I said, yeah, of course I would love to work on it and I'll do anything. And it was one of the most like emotionally difficult times of my adult life, knowing that there was this six month chunk that I really wanted to work on this thing and I didn't know Mm. if I was going to get to. And it got to be the day before and I still hadn't heard anything. And I also didn't like to bother Scott and be like, hey, do you know, do I have a job yet? Because he's super busy. And um, it was the day before we were supposed to start. And I just sent an email to him and I was like, hey, just tell me what to do tomorrow because I don't know. And he said back, I think you should come to Andy's office. I think you should come work with us. I think I can get you a contract. But if you don't want to and you don't want to work for free, I totally understand that. And I'll see you in six weeks. And I said, of course, I want to come to Andy's office. I had a hot rod poster in my dorm room. I love the Lonely Island. Please, please. So I go in the first day, still very scared, not sure what's going to happen. And then by the end of the day, 
they were like, oh yeah, okay, you have a contract. You've shown your value to us. And, and <laughs> within the next day I had a contract, which felt really good. Um, and so, yeah, we spent six weeks from the time that the nominees were announced till the show uh, writing at Andy's office. It was awesome. Andy is so unbelievably cool. Just like Weird Al, just like, I remember the very first day his like assistant came in to take the trash and he was like, thanks, bud. And I was like, oh, you just thanked your assistant for taking the trash. <laughs> like that is a level of humility that's so impressive to me. Um, <laughs> and he like is thinks that Comedy Bang Bang is funny and silly and wanted to do a funny and silly and goofy show. Um, and it was like truly like the most fun and tired and hardest I've ever worked. Uh, Cause also like that's a three hour long show live. So I'm like terrified of, and there's a prompter, which we didn't have on bang bang. And so my scripts are what's going into the prompter. Also the period of time since I was kind of, you know, the liaison from the writer's room to the producers, the, it happens so rapidly, whereas on Comedy Bang Bang, it's like we send out scripts to the network and within the next three weeks, we get notes back and then we have another three weeks before we shoot it. And we didn't have that. And so it was the producers desperately wanting updated scripts and us not having it yet. And Neil Campbell getting phone calls from the producer yelling <laughs> and screaming, saying, why don't we have this yet? And um, me feeling really guilty about that. Uh, but we got in a lot of run throughs. I was still so nervous through the entire thing that like suddenly the script will be wrong or it'll be an old script or it'll be an old revision. Uh, but it didn't, it worked great. Uh, and someone told me this could be bullshit, but Dave Ferguson told me that at the after party, he was talking to the producers who said that our room was one of the most well-organized rooms they ever had, which I there you go. took very, very to heart. Um, <laughs> cause I, man, oh man, I didn't want to screw that up for those guys. <laughs> Uh, was being on like network television more difficult to write for? You know, our room, Bang Bang isn't very dirty. Like it's not very, uh, we have more permission to be dirty on IFC than you do network, but the sensibility is pretty, adolescent isn't the right word for it, but um, pretty kind and sweet and silly. So there were a couple of things that, uh, you know, we tried to get an ass-eating joke in there, and they didn't want it, and then we pushed for it, and we ended up getting it, and it was great. What, it was, what was the ass-eating joke? Uh, when Andy was standing at the giant Emmy statue. Oh, I remember this Pretends now. to eat the ass of the Emmy statue. Uh, and it was great. Because it was we, like uh, girls, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that now. We just had to lose a couple of jokes. It's a wild joke. We had to lose jokes making fun of uh, a Fox Network showrunner that we had, and they were like, if you lose uh, those jokes, we'll let you have the ass eating. And we're like, yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, was it, so like writing for like an award show, was there like pressure to like conform to that at all? Or were you guys always just like, we're going to do what we do? A little bit. So one of the bits that we wrote that they were like, this is too weird. This is the one we'll tell you is too weird. Ended up in the Michael Bolton Valentine's Day special that okay. a lot of those guys went to write, um, which was like. Andy going like, I love Emmy night. It's such a special night because anytime it's the Emmys, I remember it's just four months till Christmas and starts right. a whole big musical number about Christmas. And they're like, no, that we can't spend money to have like fake snow and Santa and have something that has nothing wow. to do with movies for a while. That would have killed though. That would have been so, people would have loved that. I know. Well, but I, I think our, our show was good and I uh -huh. think people liked it. Um, but also it was like, 
we wrote a big thing for this rock band that was going to perform on it. And then day of, we found out the rock band wasn't going to do it. And so then we have to rearrange the show. It all is so rapid. Um, so there, there's also, in terms of making it like an award show, is, you know, the Emmys gave us all these kind of stories that they wanted us to touch on, which was the most diverse nominations ever and peak TV, this concept of peak TV. And the peak TV one in particular is what we kind of based the cold open on, which was where he has to watch every show. And three or four years ago, there was also a cold open about how there's too much TV. It was the Neil Patrick Harris one. And so it was, how do we do this, play the same game essentially, but in a different way and in a way that's more authentic to uh, us and that, you know, isn't Billy Crystal and it isn't Neil Patrick Harris and it isn't, uh, you know, any of those kind of more buttoned up guys who've hosted in the past. Andy does not have a mean sense of humor at all. He does not have like a, like a catty, snarky, show busy, e-network kind of sense of humor. So it was more like, how do we just have fun? Like one of my favorite things was our intro for Lady Gaga, which is the next presenter is a nice lady who plays the piano. Please welcome Lady Gaga. Like just <laughs> totally nice in tone. Uh, so that's where I feel like it differentiated than your classic award shows was it wasn't outstandingly snarky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have to uh, write for like presenters? Some presenters. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of options of uh, we could choose who we wanted to introduce with our own intros instead of the voice. We could choose, you know, Andy wanted to do something with Seth Meyers because they're old buddies. Uh, but there's a separate set of writers who write all of the banter between presenters. Uh, and I, they have a very different sensibility than we did. Uh, and right. it was very weird to watch during the run throughs and go like, no, don't, don't make that joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we got a little bit of playfulness and stuff that's interactive with the guests, but anytime it was just the presenters talking to each other, that was a different writing team. That's odd. Why, why do you think they do that? Just, I don't know. I don't, there's so much about that system that's just like, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. So this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Uh, so now you're working on Hampton DeVille. Yeah, we just wrapped last week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get uh, that, that job? Just knew the right people. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jake Fogelnest is the showrunner right. on uh, Hampton DeVille, and I've known him since I moved out here. It's an Earwolf connection. When I first moved out here, I told... Jeff Ulrich, the co-founder of Wolf, who's always uh, taken my opinion into consideration when I told him who I liked at the time and who I thought was funny and interesting. I told him I thought Jake Fogelness was really funny and interesting. So then Jake worked uh, for Earwolf for a little bit, developing talent, and we've known each other since then. Uh, and it was his first showrunner job, so he wanted someone in the room who's worked on a lot of television, and I've worked on a lot of television, so... The timing worked out perfectly, and I just got to hop on over to that, which was so, so great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so how did that differ from Bang Bang? So much. Right. Yeah. So, so different. I mean, so we had a full staff. We had a writer's PA and a writer's assistant, and I was script coordinator. So already, like, the day before I called Jake, I was like, do I need to be picking out restaurants that are close by to do <laughs> lunch? Do I need to get crafty? Do I need to get supplies? He was like, no, we have so many other people who will handle that. Uh, so that was a, a huge change. It was like so much was off my plate and I got to only focus on the one thing, uh, which got really scary for me when we went into production. I was like, who's 
putting the waters in the boys' dressing rooms and who's doing all this stuff. And I was like, no, literally we have people who do that. Uh, and then the sensibility of the show is very different and the sensibility of the writers is very different. It's uh, created by these guys, Jake Weissman, Matt Ingebretson, and Pat Bishop. Pat, who worked on Birthday Boys as an editor, so we have a little bit of a shared uh, comedy language, but Jake and Matt are both just stand-ups um, and aren't terribly goofy or silly. They're pretty... The sense of humor of the show is pretty nihilist, pretty dark. Uh, there are a few times where I'd pitch jokes in the writer's room and they'd say, go back to comedy, bang, bang, because <laughs> uh, they were far too goofy. Uh, but also, like, I got to go in with a little humility to myself where I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing this time. I don't have to be like, I don't have to wait for their permission to pitch. I can pitch if I think my idea is good. Um, and I get to, like, know that I know what I'm doing. Uh, which I never had at Bang Bang just because it was like the job I had when I was 21 years old. Uh, and I always kind of felt like a 21-year-old who didn't know what they were doing. And at this one, I could be like, oh, no, I'm an experienced writer's assistant working on a new show, mm-hmm. um, which was so f- so good. It was a really, really fun show to work on. I feel very lucky that I hopped into another show that I thought was like funny and the people were cool and I liked working with them because I know that those jobs are a lot fewer and far between uh so what makes a good writer's assistant in your opinion um what makes a good writer's assistant uh uh someone who asks when they don't know what to do um someone who is meticulous uh and pays a lot of attention and is very service oriented uh i both our writer's PA and our writer's assistant had never done anything before. So I made kind of a whole document for them outlining it. And then a a very good friend of mine just started working as a writer's PA and she was miserable at the job and she hated it. And after a couple months, I sent her that document and she was like, Oh, I had no idea what my job was supposed to be. And I was like, well, did you ask anyone? She was like, no, of course not. (laughs) So it takes someone who's like really, really willing to, Every second of their day, no, like, it's service-oriented. Assistant jobs are bad. They're, like, not fun. You watch people. It's standing outside of a play place and watching all the kids play, <laughs> and you're, like, making sure they don't choke on the balls. It's, like, it's not you're there longer than anyone else. You're there. You don't get to eat until everyone else is eaten. You don't get to get up to go to the bathroom unless other people are getting up to go to the bathroom. Uh, so you have to have enough willingness to be of service to the show that that stuff doesn't matter. And I think anything that's like final draft can be taught. You can learn to be a faster typer. Um, You know, knowing for what to notate is a skill that I think you only learn when you're on the job. So I think it really, for me, at least in my experience in knowing writer's assistant boils down to like, are you willing to admit when you don't know the answer and are you willing to be uncomfortable in service of the job? Uh, so do, do you have plans to do your own writing and move into your own stuff? <laughs> That's the dream, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm using this unemployment to write, um, you know, work on a pilot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it is like the second I'm alone writing, I go into the space of like, I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to write. I'm not funny. My voice isn't good. I can't do this. And then I get into a writer's room and I see like, oh wait, no, I actually am completely qualified to do this. Um, Writing by yourself is just harder than writing with other people, especially comedy, which is like, 
you know, just like throwing ideas against the wall and not knowing what actually is funny. Um, so I'm trying to kind of hold on to all the energy and joy that I got on Hampton DeVille. And there were a couple of times during the, the production process where the creators came up to me and said like, we're doing your jokes. We're doing your show. Did you notice? Did we shot this scene where you pitched on, um, it was nice to be reminded of that. Uh, cause I get, I mean, I think that's like a very common thing among creatives is like the second we're put alone in a room, we're like, well, I'm, I guess I'll move back to Houston. I don't have anything. <laughs> uh, but then the second we can like show off in front of other people and be a little bit of like a peacock, we're like, oh no, I'm the greatest. I'm the best mm-hmm. in the world. I'll be successful forever. So my own struggle is just managing that, <laughs> managing right. my mental health in terms of, uh, <laughs> being a human being and then oh yeah i guess i can open up my final draft for two hours a day and actually type instead of just thinking about what would it be like if i started typing right (laughs) okay so we're gonna wrap up with you giving your thoughts on some sketch ideas oh nice that i wrote okay so uh the steve jobs of fast food okay it's like an apple keynote revealing like the latest uh fast food thing sure i like it okay it's from the naked chicken chalupa sure which is very good that's what i've heard i heard yeah. on other podcasts Doe Doe Boys? Boys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh okay uh fox and friends is you know the fox yeah, news yeah. show as like an animated kid show sure with conservative overtones that reminds me, that's very, uh, uh, heather campbell is one of the writers right. on hampton deville and she has a series called I think it's called this is okay now it used to be fox adhd but that's like oh a-okay a-okay yeah. there we go um yeah that's very in line with that sell that sell that sketch to oh, heather campbell i'll sell it yeah <laughs> I, I i know eric moneypenny i, oh, I took his class so yeah, yeah uh yeah i'll sell this to him yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh okay and this is just a phrase but i think it's a sketch uh seven minutes in actual heaven i, I love that pitch this that's, is just a phrase which yeah. is how most that's how Spank Free Day for Bad Little Boys started. Right. Yeah. I like any, I think it can sustain a sketch. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, that's three for three. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming in. Do you have anything you want to plug? Oh my gosh. No. Follow me on Twitter and then mute me. I'm not great. <laughs> What's uh, your uh, Twitter? Caroline E. And it's two E's in a row. I know that's weird. <laughs> uh, Hampton DeVille comes out. Late spring, early spring. summer. It's going to be on Comedy Central. Um, it's super beautiful. It's like a really, really beautiful show. I th- hope people watch it because I think it's funny, but it's also just like really sumptuous to look at. Um, okay. Yeah. And I'm on screen a little bit. So, oh. Yeah. The plot's been kept pretty under wraps, I think, purposely. Yeah. Um, also because Comedy Central has weird things about what we can and can't say about guest right. stars. But yeah, it's about a corporation and a couple yeah. guys who work for it. All right, cool. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for providing this awesome logo, and Justin Arbabi for producing the whole show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. (laughs) 